0: Wake up, America! It's Morning Air with John Morales, Si sí, Senor, Sarah Tafoya, Hey, that's my mom. and Glenn Leverens.
1: Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air.
0: On Relevant
1: Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
2: It's Monday, January 22nd. 2024, good morning, and welcome back to a brand new hour of morning air on the National Day of Prayer for the Legal Protection of Unborn Children. I'm John Morales. Along with Glenn Levers and studio producer Sarah Tafoya, thanks so much for joining us across America and beyond, wherever you may be listening to us here on Relevant Radio in the new and improved relevant radio app. Now Today is a special day. It's the National Day of Prayer for the Legal Protection of Unborn Children on the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade. On Friday, despite uh, some really snowy conditions, around 100,000 pro-life Americans were on hand at the National March for Life in Washington, D.C., only the second march since Roe was overturned in 2022. Among uh, the outstanding lineup of speakers include a U.S. uh, Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, uh, author Aisha Taylor, Michigan head coach uh, Jim Harbaugh uh, from the Wolverines uh, National Championship uh, team and former NFL tight end Benjamin Watson, uh, as heard on EWTN.
0: I am myself a product of an unplanned pregnancy. In January of 1972, exactly one year before Roe v. Wade, My parents, who were just teenagers at the time, chose life. And I am very profoundly grateful that they did. I want to tell everyone marching today that your work matters. It was because of people like you that allowed someone like me to choose life for my unborn twins. And there are so many people like me who need people like you to be there to give them hope and a pathway forward when they're experiencing an unplanned pregnancy. So I wanna say thank you. Your mark matters and we need you. Thank you all for being here. It's a great example that you're setting. It's testimony for the sanctity of
1: life. It's a great day for a march. Let's go. Hey, coach got me ready to go play some football. Roll is done. But abortion is still legal and thriving in too much of America. Roe is done, but even so, in the cold and the snow, you have continued to travel from around the nation to this place to recognize that the fight for life is not over.
2: It was uh, so moving and so exciting uh, to see uh, the head football coach of the Michigan Wolverines, Jim Harbaugh, on hand to introduce former NFL tight end Benjamin Watson, who uh, obviously uh, was ready uh, to go. There were uh, some other pro-life events uh, this weekend as well in numerous cities all across our nation. On Saturday, there was the 10th One Life LA, the 20th Walk for Life West Coast in San Francisco as well where Lila Rose, the president of live action, was one of the main speakers.
3: Despite what the media may tell you or how the politicians here behave, there are thousands of pro-life families in California and millions of pro-life people in California. And we are here near the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, celebrating its demise and celebrating life.
2: And uh, today at noon is the annual MCCL March for Life in St. Paul, Minnesota, something that our own Glenn Leverance is very familiar with uh, over the years. And there's other marches going on in in Indiana and Kentucky as well. In fact, I want to bring in uh, Glenn and Sarah. Hey, Glenn,
4: uh, what are a
2: few of the big stories making headlines uh, this hour here on this uh,
4: Monday morning? Well, we keep an eye on politics for you, as uh, laws do affect the life issue, of course. And uh, big news in politics over the weekend, Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the GOP contest. At one point, he was seen as a favorite uh, before it was uh, certain that uh, President Trump uh, would run again. And uh, Mr. DeSantis uh, threw all his eggs in the Iowa basket, finishing a distant second there, and was polling a distant third in New Hampshire, dropped out and uh, immediately endorsed Uh, Mr. Trump. So now, really, the race comes down to to two major candidates on the GOP side, former President Trump and former U.N. Ambassador under President Trump, Nikki Haley. And that's uh, what uh, she was uh, wishing for,
2: a a two-person race. Uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, who is uh, a a very devout Catholic, and he's very pro-life, the Florida governor announced his decision to drop out of uh, the the race. He did it on social media with a video on X, uh, formerly known as Twitter uh, yesterday afternoon.
1: Now, following our second place finish in Iowa, we've prayed and deliberated on the way forward. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watch his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance, and they see Democrats using lawfare this day to attack him. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear.
2: And Glenn, uh, it'll be uh, Nikki Haley and uh, former President Donald Trump uh, in the New Hampshire primary uh, going at it one-on-one with less than, uh, what, 17
4: hours to go. Uh, uh, Midnight Eastern is when it all starts. Yeah, Midnight Eastern, Dixville, Notch, and a couple other small towns uh, get started with their midnight voting. But uh, throughout the state, throughout the day, tomorrow, the first in the nation primary. And uh, from there, it's on to Nevada, which has uh, some of the candidates in a primary and some in a caucus uh, coming up uh, in early February, which is a little bit odd, but then the next real important contest, uh, the 24th of February, in South Carolina. So we'll see what kind of a, a jump start toward that uh, happens new hampshire tomorrow and then of course super tuesday for those that can make it all the way into early march as well when many states on the same day have their primaries and caucuses and the like uh interesting in that uh many candidates have endorsed trump that dropped out on the republican side chris christie didn't uh endorse anyone and you wonder whether they're angling for a, a position in a in a potential trump administration and uh, And of course, there's still a lot of uh, legal questions hanging over Mr. Trump's head, too. So uh, it looked like New Hampshire, one of the stronger potential states for for Nikki Haley, and we'll We'll see what it means uh, from there on tomorrow.
2: Well, Ron DeSantis uh, has been adamant that uh, he has no desire uh, to be uh, a vice president. He wants to uh, continue as as the governor of, of Florida. But keep in mind, he's only 45 years old. Uh, he'll get his time. He's still young. Uh, this was not his time. He ran, uh, you know, a questionable campaign uh, on the heels of one of the best governor campaigns ever when he won by 20 points in the state of Florida a couple years ago. So. Uh, you know, when you consider that uh, his positions were so similar uh, to Trump, I'm sure that uh, the vast majority of uh, the DeSantis supporters are going to
4: throw their support at the former president. Yeah, a lot of timing uh, considerations, a lot of deliberations go into this. Uh, A lot of money goes into it, uh, where it is about $100 million was spent on the DeSantis campaign and, uh, you know, it ended before the first primary. So it's uh, the world of politics uh, Quite interesting and, uh, you know, spends a lot of money on advertising. We still have a long way to go before uh,
2: November uh, 4th. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, let's turn uh, to the NFL. The Final Four is all set in the National Football League as uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are heading to the AFC Championship game for the sixth straight season. The Chiefs defeating the Buffalo Bills 27-24 in the AFC Divisional Round at Highmark Stadium. Patrick Mahomes completed 17 of 23 passes for 215 yards and two touchdowns in a game that switched leads five different times and actually wasn't decided until late in the fourth quarter as heard on the chief's radio network
3: placement down bass's kick is up and the kick is no good a little prophecy tyler bass has struggled and and he just misses the
4: kick kansas city will next snap with the 34 and the chiefs will take over at the
3: point of the missed kick Their own 34-yard line as Tyler Bass misses this wide to the right.
2: Glenn, can you imagine what that kicker
4: uh, felt like? He looked like he was not having a great day. Uh, A lot of fans as well in the stands in Buffalo, too, in tears uh, with their team coming. Always so close. What a great back-and-forth battle, though, with uh, four or five lead changes throughout the course of the game and a couple of the best quarterbacks in the game and it's uh, Josh Allen with the Bills and of course Patrick Mahomes back in the championship game for the sixth time in a row every single season he's been a starter. It is hard to believe that is such
2: uh, outstanding um you know, performance by uh, the Kansas City Chiefs for an organization to, to to be in a championship game six times in a row is incredible. And so they'll be taking on uh, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC championship game. Meanwhile, uh, they are celebrating in the Motor City. The Detroit Lions are moving on to the NFC championship game. Detroit advancing after defeating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 31-23 at Ford Field in the divisional round. Jerry, Goff throwing uh, 287 yards and two touchdowns, and uh, the Lions, Derek Barnes, sealed the deal with a huge interception late in the game, as heard on the Lions radio network.
4: Baker leans in, there's the snap, blitz comes, Mayfield back, loads, throws, pick up yes. by the Lions, intercepted yes. by the Lions, intercepted yes. by the Lions, Derek, yes. Barnes. Derek yes. Barnes, Derek Barnes, yes. Derek
3: <laughs> Barnes, oh, baby, 133 to go. The Lions are going to San Francisco. Derek Barnes with the
0: interception.
2: You like that second uh, commentator. All he can say is yes, repeatedly. Like, that's all he has
3: to (laughs) to offer to the conversation. He's just so excited. Yes!
2: (laughs) You got to love it. Uh, Glenn, I I knew you were going to enjoy that one. You know, the, the local calls
4: are always so much more colorful than the network calls. Well, the network guy is supposed to be kind of neutral, you know, and so these guys don't don't have to be. But I think they actually accurately captured uh, the feelings of the, the Lions fan base. Uh, first time they've won two playoff games since 1957. Never been to a Super Bowl, their last NFL title in 57, well before the Super Bowl ever happened. And uh, as a matter of fact, to get to that championship game, one of their playoff wins... Game against San Francisco, who they'll face this Sunday, isn't that something?
2: Well, uh, it, it would be uh, it would be quite uh, a party if the Detroit Lions were to go on and win the Super Bowl. Remember, uh, just down the road in Michigan, the Michigan Wolverines won the national uh, championship in college football. So, uh, wow, that, that's uh, those fans are pretty excited there. The, the fans of the Honolulu Blue and
4: Silver. Oh, as that former Detroit sports reporter, John, we're going to have to peel you off the ceiling, I think, if that happens, huh?
2: Well, I'll definitely be uh, keeping an eye and uh, and pulling uh, for uh, the Lions. So, uh, and, and a shout out to all of our listeners there in the uh, in the Michigan uh, Motor City area. All right, great stuff as always. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Glenn and Sarah.
4: Hey, sure thing, John.
2: We start uh, each hour first things first in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings, and we always pray. Through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, and today, in a special way, we pray the Memorari. We unite our memoraries uh, to the 568 million-plus memoraries uh, that our listeners have prayed for here on Relevant Radio. Uh, And today we pray for the legal protection of unborn children and continue to pray for an end of abortion in our nation. Despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me, amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, a patroness of the unborn and patroness of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio and the champion for life, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. On Mondays, uh, we also traditionally pray for the souls in purgatory as we continue to pray for our family and our loved ones who really do need our prayers. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and he will make straight your paths. God's ways are not always our ways. As Catholics, we need to trust the Lord with all of our heart, with everything that we have, and not on our own understanding. God sees the big picture, and he is always looking out for us and knows what's best for us and at the end of the day trusting the lord is the most important thing that we can do we need to trust the lord with a child like trust like saint therese the little flower used to do that is exactly the point of the divine mercy devotion and that's why we pray with great confidence every day along with uh, drew and maggie in the afternoon jesus i trust in you we need to take a short break Uh, When we come back, our spiritual director, uh, the baseball priest, Father Burke Masters, will be with us to continue his B form series as uh, we uh, continue to talk about the Eucharist is Communion. So stay with us as this Monday edition of Morning Air rolls on here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. More of Morning Air after this. looking at life from a Catholic worldview.
0: This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio.
2: And welcome back to Morning Air on the National Day of Prayer for the Legal Protection of Unborn Children. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. As always, you can send us an email directly. Uh, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. You can find us on uh, social media, on X, formerly a Twitter, our handle, at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. And our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Now, this morning, we're going to continue with the Be Formed series and our conversation on how the Eucharist is communion based on the 2003 encyclical of Pope St. John Paul II. Joining us live is our spiritual director, Father Burke Masters, the pastor of St. Isaac Jogues Parish in Hinsdale, Illinois. Uh, Father Burke is the author of his new book, A Grand Slam for God, uh, A Journey from Baseball to Catholic Priest. Uh, He's uh, the Chicago Cubs Catholic chaplain known as the baseball priest and, of course, a longtime Morning Air contributor. Good morning, Father Burke. Thanks so much uh, for uh, joining us. It's so good to be with you uh, this morning.
5: Good morning, John. Always great to be with you and and your listeners on on Monday morning.
2: For sure. Before we uh, continue with our discussion on the Eucharist, I'd love to get your uh, spiritual perspective as as a Catholic priest on uh, today's uh, National Day of Prayer for the Protection of the
5: Unborn. Yeah, it's such an important day. I I share, I do a little five-minute YouTube video each day on the scriptures and, and what's going on in the church. And I talk about today that, you know, I was raised in a, a a pro-choice family, and I think my parents are wonderful, but I think it was more out of ignorance than anything. And I think the more I studied and the more I started to, to pray about, wow, the, the gift of life, and life has to begin at conception. And, you know, as somebody who was pro-choice, I thought, Boy, I'm so grateful that my parents chose life. <laughs> so it, it's it's such a gift. The and and the basis of all Catholic teaching is you know the the dignity of every human life that begins at conception by the grace of God, and that undergirds everything that we teach from you know uh, being pro-life to you know capital punishments and, and different things like that. And now being a priest for 21 years, it, it is the foundation of you know, so much of what we believe in as Catholics. So, even though Roe versus Wade was overturned, we see many states, you know, really kind of ratcheting up their their pro-choice um, agenda, and we still have to pray that that all life is respected from conception, conception to natural death.
2: And Father Burke, uh, on this day of prayer for the legal protection of unborn children, uh, we have to remember the 65. Point five million unborn babies that have perished uh, from abortion uh, since Roe v. Wade. It's a staggering number that n- nobody c- can wrap their mind around.
5: It is hard to even fathom that number. And you hear so many stories of people who, you know, their parents almost chose abortion or it was recommended that they choose abortion. And you see what they've contributed to society and the value of, of each human life. And you think, what could have been had those sixty-five million been born? You know, so it's a day of great prayer and, um, you know, just this respect for all that God has created.
2: Well, uh, our hero, Pope St. John Paul II, uh, was uh, the the Pope of life. Uh, He was such a promoter of the sanctity of life, but he also promoted uh, the Holy Eucharist uh, in such a special way. In fact, that's the the topic of our uh, continued discussion here this morning uh, on the Eucharist uh, is communion. Uh, Can you give us a brief recap of what we uh, chatted about last week?
5: Sure. Uh, he's my favorite saint as well. He's probably one of the big reasons why I'm a priest as well as the Eucharist. And and so uh, last week we talked about the, uh, how the Vatican II talked about the church's communion, and really Jesus' mission was to bring us back into one. So the devil, uh, Greek, diaboline, means to scatter. So you see it in scripture, but we also see it in our own lives how When there's scattering and division, the evil one's probably at play. When you see union, community, bringing back together, uh, you know, the Lord, the Holy Spirit is active. It's really what Scripture is all about. You have the the scattering of the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. And then Jesus chooses 12 apostles to bring back uh, the scattered churches, the scattered people of God back together into one. And we even hear it in Jesus' prayer to the Father, where he says, you know, Father, just as you and I are one, may they be one in us. And so one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is the Eucharist as communion, the sense of being in union with God and also in, in union with, with one another.
2: And I think it's, uh, it's so fitting that we'd be talking about, uh, you know, in union and unity in this week of uh, Christian uh, prayer uh, for unity uh, among all, all Christians, uh, which uh, culminates with the, uh, the conversion of St. Paul uh, coming up on Thursday.
5: Yeah, and, and that's why, you know, going to Mass is so important. Uh, I always say that, you know, watching Mass on TV, you know, as we, a lot of people did during uh, covid Is better than nothing, but it's nowhere near what it's like to be together, to pray together as a community, and to receive Jesus in the Eucharist, which is the ultimate uh, sign of union with God and one another.
2: Well I I think it's 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 so uh, fitting that we're we're talking about the, the Eucharist is, is communion uh, as uh, you can't talk enough about the Eucharist to uh, to get us ready uh for uh this summer and the the Eucharistic Congress going on in Indianapolis uh, in the home of the Colts uh, and just this whole period of Eucharistic revival that the bishops have called for.
5: Yes I know I know our parish is just a microcosm of of the nation but you know, we have a prayer after communion uh, that is, is on the Eucharist, the, the gift of the Eucharist. I know we've, we have an annual um, Eucharistic procession between our parish and another local parish. Um, everything that we're doing is, is helping people see the gift that the Lord has given us in the Eucharist. And I think the bishops have been so wise because if, if we truly understand who it is that we're receiving in the Eucharist, and the power and the graces of the Eucharist, people would be, you know, you know, filling our churches at record levels. You know, we, we talk about football, and we see the fans going crazy at these playoff games, and they're probably, you know, in the parking lot hours before the game, uh, you know, preparing. Wouldn't it be something if we did that for God, and we, you know, showed up early for church to pray, and we we celebrated, and we sang, and we receive the gift of the Eucharist uh, in a way that, you know, is just celebrating and, and, and worshiping God. That's, uh, that's what's going to bring us true joy. Maybe our, our favorite football team lost yesterday or mine lost last week, but it's just a game. But the Lord is life. As St. Paul says, to me, life is Christ and death is gain. He focused everything around the Lord. And that would be my encouragement for all our listeners is to say each day, how am I centering uh, my day around God? Not trying to fit God in wh- whenever it's convenient, but can I make baths this morning? When am I going to pray, you know, my personal prayer, or maybe the rosary, some people pray the liturgy, the hours. How am I going to make Jesus and the Eucharist a, a critical and central part of, uh, of every day?
2: Father Burke, um, let's talk about, uh, how communion has both an invisible and a visible dimension. Can, can you share with us, uh, that teaching?
5: Yeah, this is something that, uh, I, I enjoyed reading from St. John Paul II. So the invisible dimension, he says, is, is this life of grace. You know, we, we can't see or touch grace, but we know it's there. And, uh, says only by God's grace can we have communion with him and with one another. And so he talks about the importance of and the connection between the sacrament of reconciliation, confession, and the Eucharist. Because, you know, scripture says if you're going to the altar and you realize that you have something against one of your brothers, leave your gift at the altar, go reconcile, and then come back because the Eucharist is this great sign of 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 unity between us and God and between us and our neighbor. Uh, that's why reconciliation is so important. If we have uh, serious sin or grave sin, and a, and, a, and a serious sin or mortal sin is I I know it's wrong, I do it with my full will, and it's serious matter, then I should go to confession before I receive the Eucharist. And that's why we the church teaches that we should go to confession when we have mortal sin. Because when we receive communion in a state of mortal sin, he says it's it's kind of deceptive. We're we're saying that we're in union with God and our neighbor when we're really not.
2: And uh, we can go to confession even if we haven't committed a a mortal sin. If if we have a lot of little venial sins that I I think of them kind of like mosquitoes on the the, the windshield of of one's car, you know, they they obstruct our vision. We're not seeing as clearly as as we could. And so going to confession regularly, you know, you can try to get once a month. It's a beautiful thing.
5: Absolutely. and That's my recommendation is uh, confession once a month. And uh, I think one of the, difficulties in our culture today is, if I can't see it, if I can't touch it, I don't believe it. And so a lot of people are not believing in the power of grace, which is this invisible dimension of the Eucharist. We see a lot of people not getting married in the church. They say, well, it's just a piece of paper is what I've heard people say, but it's way more than a piece of paper. It It is God wants to flood this couple with grace that binds them together as as a couple where the two become one flesh. And in the Eucharist, there's this powerful, invisible dimension of grace that we we probably have, if we truly knew what was happening in the Eucharist and the, and the power of the grace that we're receiving, again, I think uh, people would be flooding the church every day if, if they could. Father,
2: as you're saying that, I was thinking of um, our new microwave. You know, I don't see any of those waves inside the microwave, but I yeah. know that it's warming up my coffee in the morning
5: exactly what a what a great analogy and, and there's so many things like that that we take for granted that we believe um and why can't we believe you know that that god has given us you know this invisible gift of grace and you know i always say why do we believe jesus because everything he says happens he's the very word of god that same word of god that created the universe at the beginning of time is now the word of god is incarnate in jesus and every time he says something it happens and so when he says, this is my body and this is my blood, it's his body and blood. We have to take him on his word because he is the word of God incarnate.
2: And I think we also have to understand and really believe in our heart of hearts that through the power of the Holy Spirit, when the priest says uh, those words of consecration, it's no longer mere bread and no longer mere wine. It truly is uh, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Uh, Jesus substantially present there, even though our senses say otherwise, we know in our heart that it's no longer just bread. It really is Jesus.
5: Yeah. And that's the gift of faith, you know, belief in things unseen and, and, and believing that what the church teaches, this church that Jesus established himself, you know, is, is leading us back to him through this, this grace. So, um, yeah, I, I, a book I recommend, uh, one of my favorite books of all time is called The Lamb's Supper by Scott Hahn, and it goes through why why we believe in the power of the Eucharist, the beautiful description of the Mass and how at the consecration we are participating in the heavenly liturgy, you know, when the angels and saints are around the throne of God singing holy, 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 it's like the heavens open up and we are with those angels and saints worshiping God in heaven.
2: I love that book. That is a powerful book. That book really, really opened my eyes to the real meaning of the book of Revelation. You know, heaven coming down to earth at every mass. Uh, Dr. Scott Hahn does a fabulous job, highly recommended uh, the Lamb Supper. Father, can you give us your blessing?
5: Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of this day. We thank you for the gift of life and pray for the protection of all life from conception to natural death. We ask you to bless us, bless all those who are listening. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.
2: Father Burke, as always, uh, a joy to be with you. Thanks so
5: much. You're welcome. God bless you.
2: God bless you, too. Uh, Father Burke Masters, uh, the baseball priest, and longtime Morning Air contributor. We need to take a a short pause when we come back on the other side. Career coach Bruce Lachenauer will be in the house. He's back to discuss uh, the dignity of work and his take on a viral video of a general Zer, And he'll also give us an update on the job market and some of the top jobs here in 2024. So stay with us. Uh, We are... uh, Warming up as uh, we are headed down the stretch here on this Monday. Much more to go uh, here on Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
1: World goes Your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. It's Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverett. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. I'll keep working
4: my way back to you, babe, with a burning
2: love inside. I love it. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for Joining us on this day of prayer for the legal protection of unborn children you can email us at morningair at relevantradio.com. Our number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149, 914 9149 Now, if you've been active on social media, you may have seen the video of a Gen Z girl just ranting about how unfair the system is and how Gen Zers don't want to work a 9-to-5 job. Listen to part of the audio uh, from this clip.
3: I cannot stand how the news has been dogging Gen Z and calling them lazy for not wanting to work a nine-to-five for the rest of their lives. Let me put it in perspective for everybody who's a little
0: confused here, okay? I work five days out of the week, 40 hours a week, okay?
3: I do not make enough to live on my own. I would not make enough to pay rent, water, electric, and eat all by myself. I would not be capable of doing that. 20 years ago, when you were getting started, you could live on your own. You can sit here and you can call Gen Z
6: lazy all you want, but I've been working my tail end off just to barely make it by. And respectfully, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. I don't want to work my tail end off, wasting all of my life working just to barely be able to pay my bills. And that is what you
0: created. Not Gen Z. We're just here getting started. You've been doing it for the last 20 years. You tell me how
6: it got ruined.
2: Wow. This... uh... Gen Z girl really, really was passionate about what she felt. This morning, we're going to talk about the dignity of work and uh, the value of work and why do we work. And also, we're going to talk about how layoffs are conducted uh, today in this day and age. And uh, unfortunately, employers are doing this uh, without considering the person that is in front of them joining us live uh, from dallas texas is a uh, career coach bruce Lockenauer uh, to share some of his insights and answer your questions uh, bruce is the managing uh, partner of Gow- of the gaudium group uh, he has spent the last 25 plus years working uh, with public and private company board of directors ceos and top executives on their career and talent needs Good morning, Bruce. Thanks so much for joining us. It is so good to be with you once again. My brother, it's been way too long.
6: John, good morning. It has been far too long. Happy to be back.
2: Hey, I know that you have been super busy with your new firm, with the Gaudium Group. I love the name, Gaudium Group.
6: You bet. We bring joy and delight to our candidates and clients.
2: Probably inspired by uh, Pope St. John Paul II's uh, wonderful encyclical.
6: You bet, you bet, you uh,
2: bet. Fantastic. All right, uh, you've been in, 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 the, uh, in the job market industry for such a long, long time. What, what is your take when you heard uh, this Gen Z uh, young lady uh, and her video? What, what do you think is the overall feeling of uh, the Gen Z generation?
6: John, I think we've got an issue here <laughs> that she's putting a point on, and that is a difference in expectations with different generations. The baby boomer generation is all about the work ethic, productivity—you know, doing going the extra mile—and the Gen Zers, not all, you know. And this is th- these are these are broad brushes here, John. So forgive me. I mean, I know a ton of uh, Gen Zers that are just amazing work work ethics, et cetera, but they've been They've been tainted with this perception by a lot of uh, uh, employers that they just don't have that same drive and dependability and fortitude that uh, the work that that the boomers in particular have and expect. So you've got a bit of a culture clash. But you know, my heart goes out to this poor woman. Um, obviously, she's she she uh, she, should, she she's looking at work. In a way that makes it sound like it's a necessary evil, and you know, thank God for our faith because you know, from starting with Genesis when God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it, to today, you know, we we know that there is a dignity to work. John, um, you mentioned John Paul uh, the Great; uh, he wrote about this a lot, and and very recently Pope Francis. Uh, wrote about it. I, I really I like both quotes, but I'm just going to share with you Pope Francis's, which is that the workplace is a setting for rich personal growth, where you know so many aspects of life come into play: creativity, planning for the future, developing our talents, living out our values, relating to others, and giving glory to God. I mean, <laughs> we were made and born to work, and you know some of the greatest minds and leaders of our church over time have have helped us see that. So. I guess while there is this this clash of cultures between the generations, I should say, between the Gen Zers and the boomers, more importantly is the lens through which we should be looking at how we spend most of our waking hours
2: want to invite our listeners, if you have any uh, thoughts on this uh, video that we just heard uh, on the Gen Z uh, perspective uh, that is quite different uh, than the Baby Boomer perspective with that great work ethic. If you want to chime in and be part of our conversation or if you have any other uh, questions uh, re- related to perhaps uh, finding that uh, dream job, we're taking your calls for longtime career coach Bruce Lockenauer at 888 9149 uh, that's 888 914 Hey, wh- one other thought uh, on uh, the young lady, the Gen Z-er. Uh, do, do, you, do you think that uh, she has a point? Uh, how do we address the, the point that she's trying to make?
6: About which point, John? There's so much in there. We could do a whole show about not being able to make ends meet, about... Hey.
2: Well, not being able to make ends meet and feeling like it's all our fault, you know, the older generation, like we're the ones who handed her this bad uh, financial economy and, uh, you know, they they just feel like, you know, they're not the ones who ruined, uh, you know, the economy.
6: Yeah, I'll tell you what, I uh, am blessed to have lived in another part of the world. And when I came back, I had a renewed appreciation for what we have here. If you talk to these immigrants who come here, uh, you know, why does everyone want to come here? It's because it's the land of opportunity. You can you know, barely rub two nickels together and uh, be a self-made man or woman and make a, a small fortune for yourself or a large fortune for yourself or a lot of, of those Horatio Alger stories out there. Um, you know, I feel for her, you know, there, there are a lot So again, to unpack that, I think there's so many different layers. One of them may be that you know, the, the flip side is the, the boomer culture is one where you live to work instead of working to live. And maybe this woman was, was the product of a family where her parents worked too much and she felt neglected really feels like she needs to find a new way to work fewer hours so she can enjoy life more have more life. But again, she's missing a key point, which is there is so much fulfillment and growth and dignity in work that that you can discover. And if you change the lens, I think you can find, find that. And God willing she can find, you know, it looks, I think she's like a Walmart person. Um, Hopefully she can, she can work hard, get promoted, uh, or find another opportunity where she can make ends meet and and make <laughs> uh, make make a living as she she seeks to do. I'd love to help her, but um, and you know what, John? So one one of the issues here um, was addressed really well by a construction company owner who said, "Yeah, this is awful." Blah blah blah. I said, "Well, what are you doing?" And he told me, John. He said, "I." Two things I've done that have made a huge difference. One is I get the guys together, or you know the workers together. We start with ten minutes of prayer. Wow, he said. And then the other thing, and this is the essence of this, because you've got this mismatch in expectations, communication is key. He said. I am very clear. I over communicate in setting expectations and in giving feedback. So while, you know, as a manager, you may have some assumptions about the employees, as an employee, you may have some assumptions about the manager. Don't. You need to over-communicate. If you're a Gen Z worker, you need to be very communicative with your boss to find out his expectations, her expectations, and how you're doing, and vice versa.
2: Well, uh, for for those of us who work really hard and have that work ethic, it's hard to understand uh, uh, others who who don't. Uh, James is joining us this morning uh, from Houston, Texas. Uh, Good morning, James. Welcome to Morning Air. You're on with career coach Bruce Lockenauer.
0: Good morning. I just wanted to uh, comment. I think think there's a different take to this uh, video that might be missed. And I think the real issue that she might be kind of getting to is that Gen Z, there is no dignity in work anymore. The way employers treat young people, the cost of benefits, her main thing was that she goes to work and she can't even afford to live on her own. Whereas in the old days, that was more attainable. Wages are lower than cost of living. Insurance is unattainable by many people. And there just is no hope when you go to work. What's the, it makes you think, what's the point? what's the point of doing this? So I think there's a massive desperation and need of hope in the workplace itself.
6: Yeah. Good point. Uh, James, thank you for calling in. Yeah. You know, again, I, my heart goes out to her and I feel for her. And there, that is, I think one of the issues there. Um, I still think there can be dignity in the workplace. And I think, I still believe there's hope, you know, our, our job market, it's not perfect, but, as one, my very first employer said to me, you know, no one puts a gun to your head. No one is asking her to work where she's working and not making ends meet. You know, I know a lot of, I've, I've got some kids that were uh, you know, trying to figure out the right career path and would work at Trader Joe's or as a waitress, you know, to make ends meet. I think there are ways if, 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 if you work it, but if you come in and expect the system to work for you, it may not, it may not work out great, especially if you're in a high cost of living uh, area, James, I I, I agree. But I do think that there are opportunities. And if you found yourself in one where you just felt like um, you weren't being treated well, you, again, no, one's got a gun to your head. You can move. There are other opportunities out there, not only with companies, but also uh, entrepreneurial opportunities.
2: Appreciate the call, uh, James. We go to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Whitfield is with us. Uh, Good morning. Uh, Welcome to the show. Uh, You're on with uh, career coach Bruce Lachenauer.
3: Good morning. Um, Yeah, I was listening in. I think that there's really a vocational gap or rather like a value mismatch between Gen Z and the boomers. Uh, I'm a millennial and I'm married with kids and I read a stat the other day that only like 18% of the U.S. population are nuclear families with children under 18. And in the back in the 60s and 70s, that was, of course, much higher. And, you know, there's a myriad of factors going on, I think. But I think the primary one is that, of course, loss of, loss of religious uh, adherence. But really, there's a vocational gap where, you know, back the baby boomers like my father's age, they'd get married and their work was towards an end and that was building a family. And now that we don't have that sensibility anymore, I think that that's going away as as well as people being exposed to a lot of occasions of envy on the internet. And so they're like, man, I just want to be rich. Like all the rich TikTokers I see, you know, and I don't want to have to go to work at Walmart and that's corporate. And you know, the corporate structure is really served for frankly men, I mean, originally uh, to go provide for
6: their families. And so that's what I think is going on. Interesting, thank you for your comments and observations. Again, I think we could spend a week trying to unpack this topic on, on uh, Gen Z and what they're facing in the workplace uh, and what's going on. I, um, I'm hopeful, even if you're, you're, you're single, you, you don't have a, a spouse in mind, but that you can find this fulfillment that, uh, that Pope Francis talks about, that uh, JP too wrote about. He said that, you know, through work, man not only transforms nature, but also achieves fulfillment as a human being, and indeed, in a sense, becomes more a human being. I mean, think about it. When you're in that workplace, you're interacting with others, you're learning, you're growing, you're stretching, you're testing, you're, you're, you're learning how to deal with frustrating situations how to create value. It's, it's, um, again, as human beings, it's, it's part of who we are. So you're, you're right that, that the, the cultural norms are, are different are changing, but I still think that regardless of if you're, if you're in a family situation or not in a family situation or striving for that, I still think that work is a place where we can grow as human beings, become better.
2: Thanks so much for the call. Uh, there is so much to talk about. Like you said, we could do shows just on this uh, Gen Z video uh, alone. Um, final minute, uh, any encouraging words uh, on the job front? Uh, I saw that uh, Crane's New York Business came out with a list of some of the, uh, the top jobs here for 2024.
6: Yeah, and, and there, are a lot, there are a lot of people that are hiring. Um, there's an article in today's Wall Street Journal, John, about how more workers want to change jobs but now face tougher odds. So you know, when we were talking back in the quarantine and, and coming out of that, the great resignation, there were two jobs for every candidate now there are two candidates for every job, but that still means there are jobs out there, and there are and what I would say is you know, we, we've talked about this the, the dignity of work, and if you find yourself in an environment where you're not flourishing and it, it doesn't align with your cultural values, it is still a good time to raise your head and, and look around now the way to do it is not that is not by spamming every posting that's out there. Unfortunately, that journal article highlights a, a guy who, who's done um, 1,700 applications and not had a result. My gosh, wow. after 100, you'd think you'd figure out that, that applying to a job isn't the way to do it. John, as we've talked about in the past, I encourage listeners to go to the archives. Two things. Number one, network. Uh, that's how you get jobs. That's how more than 85% of jobs are filled. And then two, Go to the new Relevant Radio app, go to the prayer tab on the bottom, go to devotionals, and we have a new St. Joseph devotional. It's great, and I'll leave it there.
2: I so much appreciate uh, your perspective. Uh, Thanks so much uh, for uh, being back with us here on Morning Air. Uh, Bruce, it's so good to to hear your voice again.
6: Likewise, John. Thank you so much.
2: Career coach and Morning Air contributor Bruce Lackenauer. Now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner.
4: our story today is called the price was paid during the years when slavery was legal in the united states a gentleman happened upon a slave bidding in a crowded street the man paused to observe the activities as he watched from the edge of the crowd he saw one slave after another led to a platform their arms and legs shackled with ropes as if they were animals displayed before the jeering crowd they were auctioned off one by one some onlookers would quote inspect the merchandise grabbing disrespectfully at the women examining the muscular arms of the men the gentleman studied the group of slaves waiting nearby he paused when he saw a young girl standing at the back her eyes were filled with fear she looked so frightened he hesitated for a moment and then disappeared briefly when he returned the auctioneer was about to start the bidding for the young girl that he'd noticed beforehand as the auctioneer opened the bidding the gentleman shouted out a bid that was twice the amount Of any other selling price offered that day there was silence for an instant then the gavel fell as sold to the gentleman was heard the gentleman stepped forward making his way through the crowd he waited at the bottom of the steps as the young girl was led down to her new owner the rope which bound her was handed to the man who accepted it without saying anything the young girl stared at the ground suddenly she looked up and spit in his face silently he reached for a handkerchief and wiped the spittle from his face He smiled gently at the young girl and said, follow me. She followed him reluctantly. As they reached the edge of the crowd, he continued to a nearby area where each deal was closed legally. When a slave was set free, legal documents were necessary. The gentleman paid the purchase price and signed the necessary documents. When the transaction was complete, he turned to the young girl and presented the documents to her. Startled, she looked at him with uncertainty. From narrowed eyes, asked, what are you doing? The gentleman responded to her questioning look. He said, here... "'Take these papers. I bought you to make you free. "'As long as you have these papers in your possession, "'no man can ever make you a slave again.' The girl looked into his face. What was happening? There was silence. Slowly she said, "'You bought me to make me free? You bought me to make me free?' As she repeated this phrase over and over, the significance of what had just happened became more and more real to her. "'You bought me to make me free.' Was it possible that a stranger had just granted her freedom and never again could she be held in bondage and servitude to any man? As she began to grasp the significance of the documents which she now held in her hand, she fell to her knees and wept at the gentleman's feet. Through her tears of joy and gratitude, she said, You bought me to make me free. I'll serve you forever. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's.
2: Thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Today, pray in a special way for the legal protection of the unborn. I'm John Morales for the entire team. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow. America, defend life.